Eduardo in front, but Nature Strip getting on terms now. Here comes the champ, Nature Strip, taking the lead from Eduardo. Clear from Lost and Running, and Nature Strip back on target to defend his Everest title. Bit harsh from Plindell there, saying he was back on track. The last time we saw him at the races, he absolutely destroyed them at Ascot. I don't think he needed to be back on track for Nature Strip. Bit harsh there. I think he meant back on track in Australia, but... His last run in Australia wasn't bad either. <laughs> you couldn't hear it in the call, but that was the sound of uh, a bit of heartbreak from the majority of connections heading towards the Everest because if they couldn't beat him there, I don't think they can beat him in four weeks' time. No, that seems... I mean, that was a perfect tune-up for him as well. Eduardo took it a bit easy early and he was allowed to just slipstream and, and have a pretty easy, by his standards and by Eduardo's standards, first half and then and then dash up home and the closing splits were... Fantastic. The middle, the medium nature strip, well predicted by yourself in our Guess the Rating competition. You're the winner. 124. Yeah, that is middle nature strip, but it's probably perfect platform nature strip, isn't it? And the way it, you know, given a, I mean, most of the credit, of course, has to go to you and your prediction, but some credit as well to James McDonald for a fairly perfect ride, I would say. Probably not a perfect ride in in the way we give out the Morikawa, but a perfect ride with an eye for a, a month's time and with a horse that was pretty clearly having a bridging run. Mm. Well, looking at Nature Strip, we've already seen this floating around social media as to Nature Strip not heading to the Everest third up. It's been the sweet spot for him. <laughs> Have you seen this on your social media? <laughs> I think I've heard it in commentary as well, but it's pretty simple that you can fit Nature Strip to winning or producing his peak in the Everest being third up. But was it third up? There are other sort of factors at play here. So if you look at his record in grand finals, just look in his last five starts. So this is when Chris Waller has targeted him towards a race. He's run 131, 130, 130, 127, 130. Mm. If you look at him of 28 days, 130, 127, 107, 129, 123. So he goes into the Everest of 28 days. It's a grand final. He's going to run 130, I would imagine. And looking at his lead-up runs, you mentioned that rating of 124. His lead-up into the TJ this year, 124. His lead-up into the Everest last year, 124. His lead-up into the TJ last year, 124. Wow. So he's perfect. So is our handicap. The More two, cheers for us, I'm saying. The 124 ratings, they're all the same, except he got beaten in two of those. So yeah. now he's won. Everyone's like, oh, it's a bit of a chink. No, it's not. He's around 124. I don't think winning is ever a bad thing, guys. <laughs> He'll come off it. No, he won't. He's actually come off what we would expect from his last start. So, looks a perfect bridging run and clearly the one to beat in the Everest and has been priced accordingly. I think it's an interesting race for second. Yeah, I don't think Nature Strip is, is ever in a, in a spot. There's always going to be a, a line of thought that you can beat him. Well, he can beat himself. Mm. That would be, I think that might be what you're trying to say. But one of his, it probably is up to him to beat himself now, I suppose, because one of the more interesting horses in this race and the only horse that I think went into the race with some sort of hope of... Be- I know Eduardo's got a fantastic record against him, but Classic Legend was the one who had maybe a shot in the locker that could trouble the real nature strip, Yep, and he's gone. Yeah, He had a question to answer, and he answered it conclusively. He's not here. He just hasn't done enough racing, so naturally he's going for a spell. <laughs> just needs more time, mate. The two interesting runners, Lost and Running and Marzu, I think they both ran well to run well in an Everest, but not win it. Yeah, they've done exactly... Yeah, it- I can't add to that. That's that's exactly right. They run exactly where they would want to kick off, but they just don't have the, for want of a better analogy, extra gear. Yep. 
that Nature Strip absolutely does have. But yeah, there was other than Classic Legend, there was nothing really there that that didn't do exactly what you would have liked to have seen them do. the The pace wasn't overly strong, as I said, for horses of this caliber. Anyway, and they were they were strong finishing. So that's just a perfect platform run for a lot of them. And if they were going to different races. This would be a fantastic form race. Yeah, but they're all going to run against each other again, I imagine, including Overpass, who's run right up to his first up rating from last prep. As good as he goes, Overpass, and I couldn't imagine he could go any better. But he's not in the Everest, so maybe he could. Or, or does he get a slot? I mean, there's someone's got to run in these in these spots for the Everest. So yeah, Brad Bishop mentioned it on Radio RSN Saturday morning. That is going to be the Everest field, I'd imagine, with Snap Dancer. I don't really see anything else coming from left field. Yeah, I mean, maybe we could be forgetting something, but... The Moyer on the weekend, but that's just not going to be a good setup for the Everest, and why would you when you can keep racing? You win the Moyer, why wouldn't you just stay down in Melbourne? Such good prize meeting on offer when you, you know, you really are just running for second. Yeah, I thought Mask Crusader actually picked up and ran on, um, again, very much as you were saying with uh, Lost and Running and Marzu. He probably ran exactly the race you'd like to see from him running, thinking that he's going to peak second and third up. But is it is it just going to be against the same horses and the same result? Yeah. But there is a chance for him to, to pitch out somewhere else and and win something, although he's always going to be unappealing to the map makers anyway. So Nagership went in the highest rated horse in the world racing on the weekend and he comes out the highest rated. Yeah, probably. I haven't actually – we're just completely glossing over an incident at Woodbine on Saturday, but I haven't got the data for it and I haven't bothered to, to really investigate that result. Modern Games, who'd run second in the Sussex to buy e beat what I assume are the best turf milers in Canada at least and, and perhaps North America and absolute I don't know, did you see that? Yeah. Wow, belted them. I think Baeed's I mean he might look tradesman like on occasion, but I think he's uh he might stand right up globally. His form seems to travel. <laughs> so he he might have actually as I said, Nature Strip one twenty four, he's off his best. Perfectly so, but off his best and and I little suspicion that modern games might have actually outrun him on the weekend, but he deserves all the credit he gets yeah. Nature Strip and, and he certainly was the best performance domestically. We really struggled this afternoon to find a flop of the week, so much so that we don't have one. Looking I wanted to give an honourable mention to Sydney form at Caulfield. Zapatea. Melbourne Zapatea did win nicely. Head of state, group winner in Sydney, <laughs> awful. Extravagant star, won a million dollar race in Sydney, awful. Mm. Although she's carrying the... Um, Tony factor. Tony in town. T-I-T. Tony away from Ballarat. <laughs> yeah. Off the syntho. Avoid. Ossipenko. Big mm. Sydney boom. I think we can probably forgive him through the storm. <laughs> and he actually didn't run far off his form. But yeah. I think more was more was expected, surely. Mm. Halal. Two yeah. lengths away in the winks. We knew we would do Unsighted nothing. Unsighted in a handicap in Melbourne. I don't need to wait for age form in Sydney. He's not stacking up. <laughs> Gold trip. Backed off the map off a Sydney run. Not up to it. Crystal Pegasus, embarrassing. Oh, Written Beauty. Jeez. Trolled up well in Sydney. Didn't she start 7-4 to four in the shorts this time last year? Oh, it was insane. <laughs> It'll go down as the most insane SP of all time. Anyway, this is probably now making boring podcasting, me rattling off names for my own entertainment. But <laughs> Anyway, doing your form based on uh, geographical coordinates is a bad play. <laughs> that can be the flop of the week. That can be the flop of the week. The interesting one, we mentioned it last week the Caulfield Guineas, and you shot down my notion that whatever arrives down from Sydney will just win the Caulfield Guineas. And in my head, it sounded right, and then I have confirmed it this morning. So how many in the last eight have had a Melbourne why have you run? Picked, why have you picked eight? 
because then it suits my <laughs> my argument. Well, I think eight's okay, a fair yeah. number no, no, because okay, in terms of the Golden Rose. So how many in the last eight have come off a Melbourne lead-up to win the Guineas? Probably two. Yeah, two. So six. Six of eight have come off a Sydney run, which leads me to my next question to you. The Bash brothers, the Astern bros, they're not really brothers, but they're Ashed Jane. Cabin and Golden Mile. Yeah. Who do you want? Which one do you think is better? And don't sit on the fence. I want, a, I want an answer. I think Golden Mile might be better. Do yep. you agree with me? I do. Mm. The only time we saw Aft Cabin in Sydney, he got beat. Therefore, Gold Mile better. But I think when you're rating Aft Cabin, so Aft Cabin won the Guineas Prelude there on the weekend by the widest margin, and by in this century, how did they run that race? I know, and and it was obviously to do with conditions. But it, it becomes a race where you just have to rate that with a great deal of uncertainty. So I've actually rated it as a quite a on the low side of historical averages. So as I said, the biggest margin this century. The other two big margins in the race were Helmet. Yep. He ran 124 and then won the Guineas. Interesting note. He's the last to do the double. There you go. Mm. 124 in this to win the Guineas. And rich enough, he ran 120 and then got touched off in the Guineas. Oh, got right. Who ran him down? Shooting to win. That's right. Off the yeah. Sydney form. Yeah. And uh, which way did we go that day? The wrong way. Yeah. Well, no, I was Sydney. You were Melbourne. I know. Yeah. Um, I should have zagged. And then the best other margin was Wonderful World. 2.3 lengths. Won the Guineas. Mm. So... Winning, I mean, if you wanted to just look at it as a statistical thing, winning the Caulfield Guineas Prelude by three and a half lengths to me says you're probably on the high side of Caulfield Guineas Prelude winners and in a bunch that often win or go very, very close to winning the Caulfield Guineas. But this margin, well, then we roll on to the Phillies, Boogie Dancer, and she wins by the widest margin this century in the Guineas, in the Phillies Prelude. And um, it starts to become clear that these margins and this spread of margins was to do with the conditions as much as the talent. But then I don't want to undersell after Cabin. Mm. Who's obviously a very good horse, but um, this meeting got hammered by that storm. And I think when you're rating it, you need to accept that there's going to be, you need to tolerate a, a higher level of volatility around those ratings in the next couple of weeks. I think there's, you know, there must be more uncertainty to, um, to modelling these results than there would be on another occasion. So there are horses behind, a long way behind, but behind F Cabin here who are obviously much, much, much better than what this result would paint them. To answer your question, Golden Mile will be my guess, but I, I'm very tentative to make any hard calls on Aft Cabin or any of the horses behind him. Yep. So you think they could turn the tables in the guineas, the ones behind him? It's very hard to come up with a smart-sounding, reasonable case for that. Yep. Other than, yeah, chaos. Yeah. One we could mention as a flop of the week, and I feel like you do think it's a flop, was Dwayas. She was probably too good to be a flop. Yeah. But she was – and the race was, again, we got a f- false pace and a – I don't want to say a false result in the George Main, but not a conclusive result, again, I think, in the George Main. So you're suggesting Zaki would have got an easy time? Zaki – Insane that didn't run. Yeah, <clears throat> assuming his well-being. That was a, a really lovely chance for him to win a million-dollar race. And assuming that that Craigley form, Maccabi Deba form, goes on to the Underwood, that'll be a harder race for him to win than this turned out to be. Yep. And they didn't know that going into the race that Animo was going to be, you know, he pulled up lame. I don't know how much. It's absolute guessing game as to whether that had any impact on his performance. He ran to 120. Not bad if he's 35. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of thinking it didn't have a huge impact on his performance. Apparently, all reports this morning is he's 100%. Yeah, yeah. But Dewey's to me was probably, she's not a flop, but she was on the... She was the question mark in the race for me because I wanted to see her let fly a little bit 
and say, okay, this, this big Caulfield Cup profile of mine, I'm going to come good on it. She didn't exactly say that, did she? No. So she's, she's gone 103, 108 this prep. She went 107, 111 last prep, first two, and then she won the Australian Cup Tancred. Now she's going to the Turnbull. So it's the same. They're, they're mapping it out to do the same, and I guess she's there to do it, but I don't think she goes to the Turnbull full flex. Well, the difference with the second up rating last prep is that it had a big sort of, well, it could have been a lot better. Yeah, she was stiff, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. well, she wasn't stiff on Saturday. No, I guess she was stiff to, they rode her at the mercy of the... Slow pace. The pace and the race, and the race didn't unfold ideally for her. I still would have liked to see a little bit more, but I couldn't have expected a whole lot more, I suppose. So I guess I'm, I'm being quite gentle. So last spring she went 102, 106, so even a little bit below this spring splitting hairs, but very similar to this spring. And then she, I mean, third up peak. And you know what? She won third up. The Coonji. So, I mean, she can certainly peak and win a big slam third up. We know that. We've seen it. Now, that one I am sitting on the fence. Yep. I think you have to be there until she gets to a trip. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't, yeah. I suppose I'm on the fence, but I'm softer now than I was two runs ago before the spring. The Jockey Awards this week, just give us a quick rundown of what both awards actually translate to. Because those that don't follow golf, which a few have spoken to us about, have no idea what the awards are or what they could possibly represent, give us a quick rundown of the Morikawa and the Pendrith. Yeah, we've been told that apparently we have more listeners now and that maybe we make no sense on occasion. (laughs) Often. But in particular, around the Morikawa and the Pendrith, which were cherry-picked golfers who at the very time of inception of said awards were um, the best ball striker and the worst ball striker, according to Data Golf, in the top 200 players on the planet. Since then, Morikawa's slid and we've talked Taylor Pendrith right into form. But the concept for the Jockey Awards is we decide our winner and loser essentially based on the idea that changing pace costs energy and that the most efficient way to get from A to B is to do so changing pace as little as possible. So running evenly. Running evenly, and we obviously make allowances for you know, the topography of the course and the where the bends are and, and how the races are run, and we can observe fast times through the from the Racing and Sports database and see how they've been run and the best way around these courses, which in Australia is very simple because all our courses tend to be very flat. So, yeah, we give those awards out to the jockey who changes pace, essentially, anyway, changes pace the least and gets the closest to the course par and closest to the race shape that has produced the best times around that course in the past. And the Pendrith Award goes to the opposite, the jockey who um, ran their race unevenly or paced their race unevenly. As I said, there's other things to consider when you're assessing a race, but that's um, one angle and it's certainly this angle. So James McDonald's right, I'm praising on Nature Strip. He was very even from halfway, but he probably, if he wanted to get the absolute best out of Nature Strip, would have gone, would have made more use of him in the first half of the race. And there he could have run faster, one by further in theory. Eduardo certainly. Eduardo is better when he's running evenly. He doesn't want to be changing speed. That's not his go at all. He wants to go fast from the outset. He throws his punches in bunches from the go. So James McDonald might be a brilliant ride on Nature Strip. It might be a brilliant tactical ride for not just Saturday, but the campaign ahead. But it's not what this award is about. And what this award is about is exactly what Jamie Mott did on Calcine Mav. And he is the Colin Morikawa winner this week. What a way to notch up your first Group 1 win. A double win. Yeah, and 
everyone seems to want to tell you what a great guy he is as well. So I don't know that for a fact, but I'll take their word for it. Yep. Seems like a deserving winner of, well, first and foremost, I suppose, the Rupert Clark, but surely more importantly for him and his Legion of Fans, the Colin Morikara Award. What an honour. What an honour. Big weekend for him. And I did look, and he's actually from July 1, so the last three months essentially, most winners in Victoria, Jamie Mott, 33. Uh, and the most wins above expectation, eight wins above expectation since July 1, equal with Craig Williams. Wow. He's also ridden eight winners beyond the expected winners. And he's in the top ten jockeys in Victoria for impact value as well, Jamie. So, And when you think the top of that list is Williams, Lane, Shin, Zara, Mellum, Carr, etc. Um, he's fighting the good fight with a... Um, Pretty hot set at the top. And the Taylor Penrith Award goes to our equal leader in the Morikara Award. She, this is her first Penrith Award. Yeah. So disappointing for Rachel King. A Morikawa pin-up, I would say. Mm. Actually, that's another point we probably should raise and have been loosely told to raise, other than explaining these awards and what they mean, is also to mention that they are now tallied on the website under the racing podcasts. We do. So the Morikara Award winner leaders, as it stands, Jai McNeil, Kieran McAvoy, Nashra Willer and Rachel King, all on two. And the leader of the Penrith Award. This is a bit harsh because I think two of these were given to him when he won, but Hugh Bowman <laughs> with three. <laughs> you can't say we don't go after the big fish. Hugh Bowman three, Dylan Gibbons, Mark Zara, Nashra Willer. So Nash is leading on both sides of the fence. Mm. Yeah. Some big names in the gun there. Yep. Um, and uh, I was tempted to give Tommy Berry the Penrith Award for Stray, but on looking but at it, it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was. But still, why do you have to be that far back? Yeah, but <laughs> we can't be giving... As we said, these these awards are given out to some objective rules and not just your salt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, Morikawa pin-up Rachel King has to take a Penrith for O-President. She just went too fast. And I saw... I don't... Was there any reason for... Taken on by crosstalk, but um, she ran way, way too fast early and way too slow late. As we said, changing speed costs energy, which you'd know. I mean, maybe the best way to explain that is to to come up with the analogy about driving a car and you use more petrol covering the same distance with the same average speed, but driving stop-start through the city than you do on the highway. It's the same concept. comes to fruition in physics. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this was bad physics. Bad physics. <laughs> and O-President responded with a well below form performance despite having trialled up as though better than ever. Mm. But you have a uh, theory about that as well. You were you were into him from the get-go. Mm, yeah, horses that win trials by more than, say, five or six lengths and then race within, say, ten days or, like, two weeks, I would be strongly against. Mm. So to give you an idea of the performance of O-President here. He's run to 83. I think more was expected. At Springshaw on Saturday, a horse won running to 84. Woof. So O-President wouldn't have even been the best run at Springshaw. Now, it was Cup Day. But Big the day. winner, and I should go into this because it bears mentioning, the Cup was won by Pallet, who ran to 77. Actually beat a horse called I Am Clever, who was only 11 pounds from deficit. Gerald Ryan's horse at Eagle Farm prior to that. I tell you, I am clever with candidate for flop of the week, having mm. dusted up at Springshaw off yeah. that form. Disappointing. But that adds some meat to what Han Dynasty has done. Three on the bounce he's won now, and he's won the Springshaw heat of the... I've got to say, I'm, I wasn't fully aware of this series, but 
the Springshaw heat of the Country Stampede. The Country Stampede qualifier at Springshaw, 84 is run. I'll tell you what, I haven't got right on top of it yet, but I would assume wins the qualifier and hard to beat in the final. Got to be odds on. Han Dynasty, put that one in your black book. So he beat a horse called He's Home, who had only been 11 pounds from Master Jamie. Real form. In the Rocky Gold Cup. So that's, that's form there. Form there at Springshaw, and no president would have come up short in the country stampede qualifier. Such was the uh, inefficiency of the ride. So to only get that sort of rating out of O President when much more was expected, unfortunately. Onto the naughty list you go. Get ready. It's time for Around the Grounds. Who do you think was the fastest time at Ramwick? Sue Gotcha? No. <laughs> no, no, that would be Nature Strip. Shock um, me. The, I suppose the interesting, of course it was, but I suppose the interesting thing about that was just how slow the George Main time was. It, yeah, horrendous. That's why I think that race is, um, I wanted to come on here and rant and rave about how, I think we said that on the Friday, Thursday show whenever we did our preview. It's, you know, I, hands on hips, we need to see something from Juace. The Caulfield Cup's only in a month. But that was a silly pace and a hard one to... Maybe Animo was lame. I mean, they didn't even run a 100-time figure. I don't yeah, think Yeah, it was so. horrendous. Yeah, it's, not a, it's not a good time. And I mean, you can tell how close up they got. Plays havoc with the margins and blah, blah, blah. Best time, I mean, the, this one kind of writes itself as well. Best time in Melbourne was Calcine Mav. 115-time mm. figure. Beat time, Superman and Tuvalu, who both run to their very best. Tuvalu was backed into... Fa- I mean, the rain changed this a lot, but... Tuvalu sent around five to two favourites. Such was the strength and respect of the market for the Winter Championships. He's on track for the railway run. Yeah. Turak then back home. Because, mm. yeah. you know, they got rid of the Cantala, which good idea, guys. Yeah, so the Turak is the, the big handicap now. And, the, well, of course, there's the, crystal, the time on a crystal mile as well. But I tell you what, you'll go a long way to find a better crystal mile prospect than top ranked. He just reeks of crystal mile, that was. If he doesn't win the Epsom. That doesn't stop you from... Didn't Rangi win a crystal mile off an Epsom? That Key doesn't stop you. Although, the, i tell you what the Epsom is, and we should just pause here, because we are moving toward... I mean, the JRA Cup is this Friday, and that, to me, says we're entering Coongee season. Like, we've <laughs> talked a lot about it, but it's all been early sparring. And even if you go through it, the Kingston Town and the Naturalism are preludes of sore, but they don't have a huge impact on the Coongee, because things get much hotter yeah. in a month's time. But we should pause here and say, with the JRA Cup, which does have an impact on the Coongee, and the Epsom is the premier Coongee lead-up. Eight runners out of the Epsom. How many of those have won in the last decade? I'm guessing it's either really high or really low, and you've got a big grin, so I'm going to say high. Six? Four. Oof. Four out of eight. Four teller, light in the night, Spurtonic and Vanbra, winning more than five times what they should by random. Interestingly, if you look at number of runners beaten, they beat the other key lead-up on that measure is the Turnbull. Another lead up to the Coongee, famously so. But the funny thing about the Turnbull is they t- the runners out of the Turnbull beat 20% more runners home in the Coongee than they did in the Turnbull. So it's a very effective race. And yet none of them have won. So they've got lapped in the Turnbull and then performed and well then in, the second in the Coongee. <laughs> but that'll change. So I think they're really, I mean... That's what you're looking for in two weeks' time? Yeah, yeah. So oh, should we stop here and while we're talking Coongees? Because I'm looking at these numbers now and I'm trying to, you know map this path to the Coongee, and as I'm saying, I'm, the Epsom and the Turnbull feel like the real pivot points towards that. But the Kingston Town, more a metropolitan pointer, and the Metrop has had a terrible Coongee record. Mm. It just doesn't stack up there. But I suppose you wouldn't expect it to. But have you got to lean one way or the other from the Newcastle Cup and the Kingston Town into the Metrop? In terms of 
historically. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Durston or Allegron and Benno? I mean, this that is the that's the race. That's the Metrop, is it? I, yep. Am I missing? Who are we missing? <clears throat> I think that's it. A Melbourne. Visitor. I mean, you're reaching as if the Metrop is some big feature race. It's honoured by time. <laughs> no, I think two ways you can look at Benno's run, and we actually talked about this this morning. You can either say he was disappointing, or it was the perfect prep run for the Metrop, and he just peaked on it late. I've got him running the same rating in three of his last four runs, so I would struggle to say it was disappointing. I think he just ran really well again, and that's just him. And Allegron is one pound better than him. But I do have Benno running. That number that he continues to produce is 114. Yep. Which in a modern Metropolitan is game on. We're right there. I don't think the Metrop will take any more winning than the Kingston Town. I don't think many people would expect it to. I mean, here you are talking it down despite its lovely history. I don't think the Metrop's been good since Magic Hurricane. I don't think it was even good then. <laughs> so that number that Benno continues to run to, 114, is exactly the same number that Durston produced, backed up by a strong time, I must say, at Newcastle on Friday. I saw a lot of people talking down the Newcastle meeting. It's not what it once was, and that may be true in terms of carnival vibes and, and they've sort of the push to have everything at Saturday at Ramwick has sort of made life hard for those interesting bits on the side. But in terms of strength, the time figures that were, were run for the features and the day in general were strong at Newcastle. I think it's good form there. And Durston ran, to, as I said, 114 and with a with a strong time figure behind him. But the Kingston Town has well and truly outperformed the Newcastle Cup on Metrop Day in modern times. Makes for an interesting race, though, I think. Yep. I'm not sure any of them are really trying to strengthen their Coonji claims, but that's what I'm looking for. I think they might be outdashed by the Epsom horses in the Coonji. Would you agree with that? Got to give a bit of credit to Brad Widdop too He had an absolute penalty kick for Ice Bath In the last at Newcastle on Friday Fronts up and runs second in the George Main So credit to Connections for chipping up And having a throw Copped a lot of backlash on Twitter about it But I think that was From you Yeah (laughs) But I think to be honest A lot of the backlash was because Everyone was getting $3 when she was odds on And that's why they were angry You're entitled to be angry Why not Mm. It Um, was going to be a hell of a bet Yeah well, I tell you what, as much as I'm talking up saying the Newcastle features were quite strong, she'd have won that by a ways. She <laughs> ran a, out of her skin in the George Main. Yeah. As I said, maybe the part, we don't need to keep banging on about the pace in the George Main. Maybe there was, maybe it was a nice scenario for her, but even still. Adelaide, Shimino beat Kemmel Parser, but Kemmel Parser was first up. This is the best time over there. It wasn't necessarily a fast time, but it's reasonable form. Shimino's rated 107. Kemmel Parser's rated 115 if he gets back to his best and did enough here to think that he could as he travels back to Melbourne, I would assume, for the spring where he's a Lynn Lithgow hero. He is. I mean, once we get past the Coonji, and I don't like to look too far ahead because you've got to stay in the present. The Buddha was right about that, but we will move on towards the Lynn Lithgow. Should touch on Behemoth. Go on. Three of his last four below 100. He'd gone over two years before that without dipping below 100 at all. So he'd been outstanding for over two years, Behemoth, and been a great racehorse. But three of his last four now sub 100. I think he's done. Might be over. We salute you, buddy. The other run in that, for a future spring perspective, is Taunting, who's run third. He's uh, rated 102 here, but he could develop into a century stakes horse on Oaks Day. Heard uh, it here first. Yeah. So if you can get an early market going for the, the century stakes, ring your local bookmaker and um, inquire. Because I think I assume Taunting would have moved up the markets on the back of Saturday's third. Have to now. The, yeah, but... Um, Once this drops. He'd certainly be on the radar. But at the same time, I still think you might get the right price about him in the Century Stakes. 
far too easy. He must be at the pointy end of Kosciuszko betting. He is. He ran the fastest figure in Brisbane on Saturday. Ran a time figure in the just about 100 and or even 100. And is rated 106. Who do you want, him or it's me? Through the same race before that, which has been working out really well, and she ran good splits and wasn't on her own in that race. Hence, it's working out really well. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I would think that's a... Both of them are entitled to turn up and think they can win. Yep. Of course, they think they can win. I think they all... Well, I don't want to say... Yeah, they should both be bullish. And then over to Perth, which won't impact the Century Stakes, the Coonji or the Kosciuszko, but is it Kari's Karma? Mm. First out for the new stable. And I noticed had some interesting form lines in there as well. Yep. No, nice mare. Always good to see when they step out for a new stable and can win in that fashion... You'd imagine she'll only get better as she steps up in trip and one you could follow heading towards the carnival, I would think. But it was a, I must say, she ran to 98. And as we move towards the pinnacles, 98's not going to be getting you on the old around the grounds. No, no. I think it'll be... Picks up pretty soon, doesn't it? Picks up pretty soon. And by all reports, a lot of good horse flesh heading over for the pinnacles. No surprise, but more so than ever. Heading back, yeah. (laughs) Last and second last in the Rupert Clark. Well, they're all <laughs> up in arms about Danny O. He's won the race, so he's a bit of tough New Zealand stock. That did the job, but this Western stuff. But then you want to blame West Australia, but then there's Red Can Man punching. I know. Kiss on all four cheeks punching. Yeah. I went through at the Perth form in Melbourne and how much was it all dropping or something like that. It's just the ones that are big. Yeah. All the others are stacking the form up. Red Can Man's making Graceful Girl look great. She's not. No, she was all right in the Bobby Lewis, I shouldn't say that. And I quite liked her on Saturday, but... Yeah. The storm clearly did her no favours. That is just so exciting. We've had a look at a few that for the future, I suppose, but it's not an equine exciting follow this week. It's not. It's a jockey. Oh, because I was looking. So James McDonald on Saturday rode five winners yep. from ten runners. That's incredible, right? Yeah. Like what an impact he's had. He's had five point six was his impact value there. I'm like, oh, let's just have a little look at you know, who was the best on Saturday. And, you know how far. How far superior was, was J-Mac to the rest? And it has a lot to do with his rides. But do you know who was the most influential or had the biggest impact in New South Wales on Saturday? Talk to me. He's back. In form, follow. It's not who I think it is. Glenn. <laughs> Two winners from three starters. Expected wins aren't even, haven't even got off zero if you're rounding. Yep. So nothing expected from him, and he delivers two wins from three. Impact value, 7.33. Median improvement on the horses he switched on to there, 17 pounds. Glenn. He's back. I mean, imagine him only getting three rides, but that won't last with that sort of form. If you start turning up and doing that, coolest hands in the game. Yep. Um, J-Mac is just dominant at the moment because he gets, I mean, the biggest skill a jockey can have is getting on the right horses. He's getting on all the right horses. So he had three times as many expected wins as anyone in the state, which makes sense. Yeah. He gets on all the, all the winning chances, but he, and he delivers, so good on him. But there's only one thing in the way. There's only one man who can bring J-Mac down from the top. The power of Glynn. And that's Glynn. And my goodness, he was on on Saturday. How happy were you when you saw this? Oh, absolutely thrilled. <laughs> absolutely thrilled. So he is the follow. Put him in you, racing and sports. Free black books. Can you black book a jockey? You can black book a jockey. Wow. What can't you do at racing and sports? And that's the review show for this week. We'll be back on, we won't be back on Thursday. I'll be in mourning. Obviously. So we'll be back Friday with 
the preview show and for those that missed it over the weekend we're now on RSN every Saturday at 9.30 with Brad Bishop just looking at a few interesting factors for Saturday's racing. A lot of it you will hear on the podcast but we will get to see final fields after scratchings which made a big difference with the Rupert Clark obviously on Saturday with the favourite not getting a run. Bit of fun and would love any feedback you want to send through. Cheers.